When you're in love and you are wondering if he really is the one, there's an ancient sign sure to tell you if your search is over and done. Catch a bee, and if he don't sting you, you're in a spell that's just begun. It's a Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, December 4th, 2022. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many of the places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Peter, close your ears for a second, okay? Okay. Everybody needs to go buy Peter's book <laughs> right now. Right now, because you know somebody you can give that to for Christmas or buy it for yourself, because it is so, so wonderful. Peter, you can come back now. All right. So also with this is Michael Portantier. <laughs> Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. So it's the most wonderful time of year, isn't it? Now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It mm-hmm. is. You mm-hmm. guys are... Uh, uh, all set with your Christmas shopping, <laughs> oh, well, Hol- totally. holiday shopping and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. No, yeah. but what I love about Christmas time is that everybody's much nicer to everybody saying, yeah, it's Christmas. Let's uh, give, give a break here. So, <laughs> so I wish Christmas were every day of the year because people really do step up to the plate and become nicer people. I was uh, going through Times Square last night, and I happened to uh, notice, um, as would your, your, your insight as well, Peter, that people are especially nice. I mean, mm-hmm. the the Elmos are not attacking you as much. <laughs> so, uh, and the various uh, Elsas and Annas, and, uh, uh, and Captain America. Captain America was uh, looking a little bit sad about the Team USA in the in the. World uh, Cup, uh, so uh, it, it is uh, a little bit better, uh, a little bit better this time of year here in mm-hmm. New York City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Peter and I got over to Circle in the Square Theater to see uh, the new musical K-pop, which uh, played off Broadway uh, and is a transfer to Broadway, but not an exact transfer. Has a, li- a little bit of a change here. Uh, so Peter, did you see it off Broadway? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, tremendously different, especially because um, on Broadway, I'm sorry, when it was at ART on 53rd Street and 10th Avenue, uh, you had to do a lot of walking here, there, and everywhere. So uh, that is completely um, taken out of the equation now that it's a circle in the square. Um, That said, um, I think this show is going to bring a lot of pleasure to a lot of people who um, love concerts because that's basically what it is. And um, so the audience I saw it with was tremendously enthusiastic. Uh, no sooner did were a group of um, men or women. Um, there were two groups, uh, boy group and girl group is they're called who uh, just, as soon as the lights come up and they're they're in a posed position, the people are cheering already. And when they do their um, movements during choreography, it's not so much the choreography involves so much legwork as much as it seems to involve gestures. But the type of thing that Zach was talking about in a chorus line where he really wanted precision, that everybody be the same, This these groups really are tremendous at doing this. There are many, many, many gestures that aren't necessarily logical. I don't mean that in the worst sense of the word, but I mean, there's 
a, a, a hand gesture will be followed by a different hand gesture with the other hand. And it's amazing how the precision works so wonderfully well. They're really tremendous groups of people who are, really know what they're doing. So, um, so there's a lot of screaming going on in Circle in the Square, a lot of woos, a lot of happiness. And, um, and it really is a concert because when it gets down to brass tacks, when it really starts dealing with the book, it has every cliche in the book. And um, because here we have a star who suddenly decides that she's in love with somebody who is considered her underling. And um, she is encouraged to drop him. And that's the conflict. Will she drop him um, and lose her chance at stardom because they really feel she should be a single woman um, who isn't involved with anybody so that everybody in the world can think that he or she has a chance with um with her. So uh, we'll see if she does succumb to the pressure um, that she's given th- to be a star or if she's, or if true love is going to be enough for her. <laughs> so uh, th- that's something we've heard a lot. The audience didn't react to it badly, probably because um, as I say, they come from a concert world. And as a result, they may have not even heard this story, which was a very famous trope back in the days of early movie musicals. Um, love versus career, a very famous uh, conflict in so many shows. So um, really, those who enjoy concerts, I think we're going to have a wonderful time in K-pop. One of the the shows it's a trope in is Funny Girl. Sure, sure. (sighs) Yeah, right down the street. Right, Um, Peter, just a a fact check. You said ART, but did you mean Ars Nova? Ars Nova, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know if it did it play at AR2, but it was an Ars Nova production? Oh, or, was it? But it, AR, did, but, was it originally from ART in, in Cambridge? No, I don't mean that. No, no, but no I think the that ART is, space. I think it's called ART on yeah, 53rd is, Street yeah. on 10th Avenue. Oh, that's yeah. the name of the theater space. The yeah, space, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was, our, it was an Ars Nova production, and Ars Nova still involved with this uh, this transfer. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not sure that I knew that that was the name of that space. That's yeah, they have periods between the yeah. A and the R and A-R-T the A-R-T New York. It, yeah. Is it A-R-T-N-Y or something? Yeah, like yeah. Oh, so R-T New York. Okay, yeah. yes. I can understand the confusion, but uh, anyway, that's the story. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. art is tough. Art is tough. <laughs> Art isn't easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I think Peter... I think I think you went kind on the book, much kinder than I, I was thinking, because this love interest showed up for one scene in the second act. And <laughs> it did come up out of the blue. I'll grant you it that. <laughs> literally came up through the stage. <laughs> it really came up out, out of the blue light. Yes, it did. Um, an amazing production, and I agree with you about the uh, about the concert element of it. It, it seems that there's much more concert in the Broadway production than in the off-Broadway. I'm not, I'm not really sure that's true, but I, I felt like there was more uh, story in the off-Broadway production and it was tighter and they have gone for, you know, let's do a lot of crowd-pleasing stuff. And my goodness, the audience was just screaming and screaming mm-hmm. when, I, when I was there. And so people are really having a wonderful time uh, I, you know, I did as I, I had a very good time. I thought it was great entertainment. I didn't think it was great theater. I think that they really have some uh, uh, book problems that are going to make uh, traditional Broadway theater goers say, ah, this is not really a show for me. But if they can mm-hmm. lock into that audience that was really wonderfully enthusiastic, enthusiastic about, about this uh, show, they're going to have a hit on their hands, but it's an uphill battle mm-hmm. to market this. Um, I was there uh, last night, so Saturday evening, 8 p.m. show, and it was two-thirds full. Um, I mean, Saturday evening is the time you need to be, you know, 95% or totally sold out so that you can make through mm-hmm. the, the Tuesday and Wednesdays. Um, mm. So uh, I, I, I don't know how K-pop is going to fare. And I think that they have a marketing challenge in front of them to, to get it going, keeping running. But my goodness, what a tremendously talented cast. Sure. Tremen- tremendously talented cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, just mm-hmm. er- everybody. But I felt like so much of the, um, the uh, it, with, with, within the K-pop show is a, is a 
film documentary director, producer. And I felt like the film documentary director, producer, and the cameraman were, <clears throat> everything was forced with them uh, uh, insofar as the, the book goes for them. And I'm sounds, almost like... The, sounds a little like uh, MJ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, yeah. but MJ does it better. Oh, okay, and okay. Yeah. MJ does yes, it better. Your point is well taken, though. Yeah. yeah, and the MJ thing was actually real. That really happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mm-hmm. that was an actual sure. real MTV sure. documentary. Sure. Sure. But sure. they used this documentary within K-pop as a tool to show the backstage stuff and all the other stuff that was when it was off Broadway. Uh, these were scenes that you saw live. Uh, as you were immersed in this world of K-pop that you were walking through and being a part of. So uh, that's K-pop at Circle in the Square. Michael's going to see it coming up. Uh, Michael, you next week or when do you plan to see this? Yeah, next week. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. I had a discussion with some friends the other night, even though I haven't seen it yet, about the, the prospects of the show. And, and you know, this is why you know most of us aren't producers because mm. you can't you can't tell for sure i mean i remember when margarita uh, escape to margarita bill mm. yeah was that the title yeah when that opened a friend of mine said oh this you have no idea what a hit this is going to be because you have no idea of the fan base that that man has Jim, Jimmy yeah Buffett. sure and then it opened and it closed because i think what happened was he, he was still performing so why would people want to go to Broadway mm-hmm. and see an ersatz version when he's still performing? And uh, sort of the same thing happened with Cher, who also was still, you know, performing when that opened. I mean, not that much, but still. Um, but whereas with MJ, he's dead. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe that maybe a lot of it just comes down to that. If If they can see the real thing, um, they're going to see the real thing. And then if not, then they will go see a Broadway version. Yeah, I mean, in K-pop's uh, in K-pop's uh, defense, uh, mm. you know, th- these are these are fictional characters, and and not uh, mm-hmm. and not uh, oh yeah, that I... you would re- really see. And and the uh, uh, the uh, quote unquote star of the show, Mui, is uh, a K-pop star named Luna, and she has got. You know, a billion views on YouTube, and she is a star in her own right. Right. And all these other folks in the show really, really uh, tie it in. Uh, They they look like the real thing. And you don't, it might be just that I don't understand it and I'm not. I'm not tuned into it, but I don't think that there's many K-pop offerings in the New York City area. Oh, so, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. So I don't see. I, it might be that there are different K-pop groups that play Madison Square Garden or some of the other uh, tri-state area venues that are for big things, but I don't see that. So maybe this is a, a great outlet for it. Um, but in you know the rough. News circle a thousand seats or so. Mm. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. And uh, we can't I, argue. I, we, I'd like to we, bring up something else entirely um, yeah. because of something Michael said about seeing Cher uh, live. A friend of mine claims, I think he went to Worcester, Massachusetts to see Cher in a show. And uh, at the end of the show, Cher came out. She said, I was sick tonight. And so I had this share impersonator to do the show. Has anybody heard about this? <laughs> no, I haven't. I, I would imagine I not heard about there that. would be riots. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was furious. Um, I, it, it seems highly unbelievable. Um, yeah, it seems but like a joke to me. But, <laughs> but it, 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 he swears that this is what happened. And so um, I guess I should do an internet search. I never have. He only told me this recently. But if anybody else knows about this, I'd be interested in hearing if this was a one-time only thing or um, if this is something that happens every now and then with Cher uh, or if it happens to anybody else, if anybody knows about any this type of thing happening. Um, but I can understand why he was uh, pretty furious. I, you know, Michael, can you get Steven Brimberger on the phone and see if he's <laughs> in for Barbara? You know, because Steven could do Barbara better than Barbara. So. <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know, but I, I just I just Googled that, Peter, and for what it's worth, I didn't see anything. You would okay. think it would be front yes, page. Yeah. Maybe I, it I was, would imagine. Maybe it was that, just a joke and he fell for it. Maybe she yeah, changed I, yeah, maybe she changed really quickly and then came yeah. out and said or, or indeed uh the impersonator <laughs> pretended to be Cher coming out saying that uh, uh, <laughs> who, knows? No, who, knows? Yeah. who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So back back to K pop. I mean back to K pop. Luna is a huge, huge global star, uh, and uh, well, that's and so a significant for, point. So, thank you. I, I, I forgot that. Uh, so, there and, is at least one person in it who is uh, who has a following among yeah. those people who love that stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and boy, I mean, there's a lot of stars to be in this cast. This cast is just just unbelievably beautiful and unbelievably talented. Hmm. It just, uh, I, I think that they were too, uh, again, hmm. you know, it, it, we were talking before about uh, Margaritaville and if we were smart producers, it, if, if, if we, if the things that we said were just, you know, true truisms and easy to do, the three of us would be calling you from our yacht in the Bahamas, you know, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> right. You that's know, what I meant. Cer- yeah. Certainly we could be, we could be very long about this. I feel like K-pop in doing the, the Luna, uh, the, the character Mui and the two boy, uh, the, the boy group and the girl group, I think it was too much show and they kept on having to narrow it down. And then we lost the boyfriend storyline and we lost everything else. So I feel like while, uh, uh, they sort of needed to cut one of the groups, not have a boy group and a girl group, but maybe have one or the other and, and have and flesh those storylines out. Cause they had the beginnings of really, really interesting storylines and in all of the three storylines that were going on. I think they totally could have ditched the, uh, the director and the, and the cameraman and eliminated that whole storyline and, and use some sort of other device to find, not the backstage stuff, but uh, but it is. Yeah, I don't think anybody would have minded. Yeah, um, at all. I think it's slickly, slickly produced. It so is very slickly produced. Yes, indeed. It, yes, it indeed. It really is amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, I, I with all those things said, I'm going to say go see K-pop. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. And uh, my uh, typically my wife comes with me to these shows. Um, and I thought my daughter, who's uh, Charlotte, who's 14 now, would like to come to the show. And so I said, I said to my wife, I said, let's take, let me take Charlotte to the show instead. And my wife's like, no, I'm going <laughs> to K-pop. And so we bought a ticket. We bought a ticket so the oh, three of us could go. Uh. <laughs> and uh, Charlotte loved the show. Mm-hmm. And Laura had the same issues with the show that I had, which is yeah. like the book is a problem, but the music mm-hmm. is wonderful and the talent mm-hmm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. So there's K-pop. Uh, and we'll talk it about we'll talk about it again after Michael sees it. And I just but, want to clarify what I meant was I'm mm. I'm glad I'm not a producer. And this yeah, is why no, I'm, no, not yeah. A, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm oh. not saying that I I mean, it's easy. I'd like to be a producer if I had hindsight. You know? I want to be a producer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very easy after the fact to look back and say, oh, well, you know, of course, this didn't work because blah, blah, blah. But beforehand, it's not so easy. Well, I want to point out to anybody who you know, listens that doesn't know me. I was a producer. I lost all my money. So now I do podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, next up, uh, the three of us got over to the Nederlander theater to see a Christmas Carol. Michael, why don't you get us started on the Christmas Carol? I loved it. And this was one of uh, two big surprises for me this week, because I honestly hadn't read up that much about it i i obviously knew it was a you know as as they say a one man version of charles dickens a christmas carol performed by jefferson mays uh in multiple characters as multiple characters um and that's what i knew about it but uh having seen patrick stewart do a one man Christmas Carol some years ago. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I wondered if it would be something like that. I assumed it would. What I did not expect was the incredibly fabulous production values of this, yeah. this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I confess, I don't know how it works economically. Um, 
just the the beauty and the elaborateness of the sets, uh, the lighting, the sound. A friend of mine said it was the best sound he'd ever heard in a Broadway theater. Uh, the costumes, such as they were, I mean, it's only one person, but uh, it, it, the uh, the projections. Um, and by the way, uh, scenic and costume designed by Dane Laffrey, who also is credited as having conceived the show with Michael Arden, the director. Um, lighting designed by Ben Stanton, sound designed by Joshua D. Reed, projection designer Lucy McKinnon. Uh, hair wig and makeup design, we should mention, especially in this case, Cookie Jordan, uh, directed by Michael Arden, as I said, who's really on a roll, isn't he? Isn't he? Yeah, sure. Boy, you know, I mean, guy. We remember Michael Arden when he was in Big River, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, as Hawk, right? Isn't that who he was? Uh, no, yeah, uh, I Tom actually, Sawyer. I Tom actually Sawyer, saw right? him do um, a reading of 110 in the Shade, where he played the part that Bobby Steggert would eventually play. Um, and uh, he was terrific. Yeah, he was a marvelous actor. But boy, he certainly has segued into becoming a marvelous director. Yeah, I mean, he's got um, uh, just recently just the one-two punch of Parade mm-hmm. at, at uh, City Center, City which Center, was a yeah. tremendous hit. Mm-hmm. And now this show. So bravo to him. I'm so happy for Indeed. Him. Um, and Jefferson Mays, uh, I have always been a fan. Uh, I guess maybe he's been not one of my absolute favorites, but he's really, really astounding in this uh, in every way, just the way he fully characterizes these dozens of characters uh, in Dickens' immortal tale, uh, but also to my ears. And again, I'm not no expert, but his dialect work was superb. And uh, it's not just one dialect because there are all different kinds of subdivisions of British dialects in this show. There's Cockney, there's received pronunciation, there's everything in between. Um, I think maybe some one or two Irish in there. Uh, and I, I looked him up again and I, uh, um, because I wasn't sure where he was from, but he is American. Uh, uh, so I don't know if that if he studied dialects specifically, uh, you know, in school and drama school. But whatever whatever he did to get there, it's it's really, really, really amazing what he did. And I I just thought um, that it was one of the best shows I've seen in a while. Uh, the Patrick Stewart one, I I never thought anyone could uh, top mm-hmm. it as far as a one-man mm-hmm. Christmas Carol. I would say this is equivalent, uh, different in many ways, as I said, much more visually elaborate. Uh, so some people will appreciate it more in that way. Um, but the way, just the way that the story is told and the way he fully, fully embodies all of these characters and, and plays against projections and makes creates the effect sometimes that there are dozens of people on stage when there aren't uh i i adored it and it was all the more so because it was such a surprise such a surprise because i never ever expected anything uh as elaborate and as beautiful to look at and listen to all right peter what'd you think Exactly the same. I expected he was going to stand at a podium and just uh, talk. And uh, I never expected. Uh, there's one set that is so elaborate that is used for maybe like, I, I don't know, know uh, a minute and a half, two mm. minutes. I don't, and you never see it again. And yet, I'm telling you, they really spent the money. And it's so important uh, for so many people to um, feel they're getting their money's worth. And it's very hard to do that, given the fact that tickets are so expensive. But at least here, you get the impression that they weren't stinting on the budget, that they really were giving you more than you expected. As Michael said, I was amazed at the production values, just amazed. And everything that he says, I certainly um, agree with one million percent. So um, the funny thing was, that in a strange way, I mean, this is a story that we all know very well that comes around every Christmas. There have been a million adaptations, including one I did that was just done um, upstate New York. Um, and yet there was a strange feeling about this that I was hearing the story for the first time. 
Hmm. I mean, it was almost like, gee, I wonder what's going to happen. I mean, almost. It, it was amazing to me when I realized I said, gee, um, <laughs> that I had that feeling. It was it was um, almost subconscious, but I, I it came to the fore and I thought, wow, wow. I mean, isn't this wonderful that the story I know inside out suddenly uh, it almost had me in in the palm of both hands that I, I, I for a second, you know, whoa, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Are you kidding? You know this story. And yet that is the power of what Jefferson Mays is doing. And he is marvelous at all these different characters with all these voices. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised because don't forget he played all those different characters in Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Mm. Um so, uh, and what a, a, a season, because I mean, there he was in a small part in, um, the music man, though, to be frank, let's not forget that when David Burns did this in 1957, he got a Tony in 1958 for uh, playing that part, but it's a small part. And here he is certainly not in a small part and, um, you know, making the most of it. So it, yeah, for those who just knee-jerk reaction and say, no, I, I know a Christmas carol. I don't need to see it again. Maybe you do with this guy. Maybe you do with this production. Uh, so uh, I, I'm, I'm with Michael, delightfully surprised. Went in thinking, okay, here's a Christmas carol. Fine. Okay. Yes, I should go. I have to go. Uh, I'm a voter in merit and many um many uh different <laughs> awards committees so yes i have to go that's my duty but it turned out to be quite a pleasure and you will see snow on stage at the very end <laughs> Spoiler. so you even get Spoiler. snow on stage <laughs> i'm uh, gonna join the, the the two of you in lauding this production oh you went um, too okay good yeah uh it, it was uh, just as you were saying, I was like, oh, another Christmas Carol, and it's a one-person yeah, show, yeah, and yeah, oh yeah, God, yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. so busy, and mm-hmm. and I came out mm-hmm. of it so excited and so happy, and uh, this is such a wonderful, wonderful, well, well thought out production, incredibly mm-hmm. well produced. Um, and uh, such a way to start the holiday season. Uh, it, it's just a, a, a great use of the Needlelander, which uh, mm-hmm. this is just a limited run until January 1st. Needless uh, to say. <laughs> and yeah, and it's interesting because you, you think about, you know, some classic shows. Why couldn't they run all year? But I just, it's really hard to sell uh, Christmas tickets and <laughs> In July, unless you're crazy, Eddie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> prices are insane. So uh, apparently, they were. He went out of business. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, there was uh, all sorts of other issues there. Crazy, Eddie. I'll bet. <laughs> uh, so uh, I was going to say about that that set that they spent so much money on. Mm. Uh, it reminded me of the. Uh, the 30 second sight gag and funny thing happened the way to the forum at the, in the opening. Yeah. 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 You know, comedy yeah. tonight. <laughs> right. Right. I remember. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Jefferson Mays is just, uh, just flexing his muscles there and, uh, and providing just an amazing, amazing performance for, for us all to really appreciate. And it was, uh, it was, Packed and uh, the audience was appreciative, and uh, I think that it's it's something that if if you're able to get into town, definitely see this. Definitely mm-hmm. see this. So, Peter, you got over to uh, the Signature Theater for the new group's production of Evanston Salt's Cost Climbing. That's a Will Arbery play directed right. by D- Danya Tamor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, tell us about it. Well, Evanston Salt Costs Climbing was an actual headline in a newspaper, and it spurred Will Arbery to write a play about what's going on in Evanston, Illinois, where indeed um, snow comes, and as a result, the roads have to be salted. And because there are so many concerns with the environment, there are a lot of people who, of course, object to what is being put on the roads because it may be affecting the birds, it may be affecting the wildlife, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Arbery's point is, 
We worry a great deal about things that happen to in the environment involving trees, foliage, what have you, and animals. But what about people? And it took me a long time to at least come to the conclusion. I mean, if, if we were here now, we'd say, you damn fool, no, you missed the point entirely. But what it seemed to me was that he was saying is, this stuff makes people crazy too, because the characters in this play have a lot of crazy issues going on, a lot. I'm not going to divulge what any of them are, because I do believe that this ultimately is a play worth seeing. It is something that takes a while to get the, well, for me anyway, maybe uh, all of you will do much better, but it took me a long time to realize what I thought he was getting at. But I really do believe I'm on the right track in saying that this stuff makes people crazy. So with the title, Evanson Salt Costs Climbing, the cost is indeed to human life. And um, so these people really do suffer as a result of working with this salt. So it's a four-person cast. We have two workers, uh, played by Jeb Krieger and Ken Leung. And uh, their boss is played by Quincy Tyler Bernstein, uh, or Bernstein. I don't really know how it's pronounced, but I certainly know that um, she's a wonderful actress, and it certainly comes through here. She's their boss. And we also have her daughter involved, played by Rachel Sachnoff. The daughter uh, wants to meet um, a musician. She believes that she's going to uh, really get involved with him, in uh, not just as, in, as a fan, and we think this is crazy. I mean, and that's the point. You know, again, has it been a situation that this salt has driven her crazy? Um, the the mother certainly has her issues. Well, they all do. So I'm not going to give away very, very much. But what I will say is that if you stay with this play, you may be rewarded in the way that I was. And of course, I've given you a big hint as to what I think it is. And, um, but I do believe I'm right. I do think that's the point of it. So, uh, very nicely produced, a very imaginative set. That's what's really, um, you know, I'm, I'm always impressed with set designers who have to read a script and say, okay, I'm going to put this here, I'm going to put this there. And, you know, you have people um, who are driving the trucks. You have uh, scenes in the workroom, uh, the break room. You have scenes at home. Um, there are so many scenes in this play in different places. And yet, Matt Saunders has really done a terrific job in giving a, a unit set that um, has a few surprises here and there. And I really admired that. Isabella Bird, who's becoming one of our best lighting designers, certainly doesn't disappoint us here at all. Uh, so the, the, it's, it's really something to watch those two things work together in tandem. So um, don't be frustrated if you go and you get a little lost at the beginning. Stay with it. It's worth it. Okay. That is, I'm going to try it again. Evanston Salt Cost Climbing right. at the Alice Griffin Jewel Box Theater at the Perishing Square Signature Center. It's playing <laughs> through December 18th, so you have a, about two weeks left to go check it out. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Will Arbery, which is mm -hmm. uh, just pumping him out. He is doing great. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, Michael... You uh, next up, we uh, you got over to the Met where you saw Aida and not that other show at the Met. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so tell us about this. Uh, have they found a new uh, a, a new twist on Verdi's Aida? No, no, no. Uh, the specific reason I went is this is the production they've been doing for decades now that is really the most spectacular production. Uh, in the Met repertoire, uh, with the possible exception of Turandot. Uh, I guess they're about the same. Um, and this one is uh, Sonia Frisell. Uh, uh, is, is, is a Sonia Frisell production with sets by Gianni Caranta, uh, costumes by Dada Salighieri, lighting design by Gil Wexler, choreography by Alexei Ratmansky. And the director of this revival uh, is Stephen Pickover. It's just, um, it's just really 
incredibly spectacular but in a, a an intelligent way because it's set in ancient egypt they're able to do things in a way simply uh with like just huge walls uh as sets um rather than uh i mean they're not actually that detailed but they're just so huge that they create this incredibly uh impressive uh effect and and then that plus the costumes and the fact that there were so many people on stage and you know spear carriers and and uh horses i'll get to that in a moment uh <laughs> but uh it, yeah so it's it's really um I, and i i've been hearing rumors for, uh, probably more than rumors for a while that this production is going to be retired soon uh so i had to go see it especially since i had a friend in town uh from boston who had never seen it and i said well we've, we've got to go to this because it may be your last your last chance so that's we were said about phantom that's what they said about. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> good point <laughs> um <laughs> So anyway, uh, we were really both very glad that we went. Uh, I, I won't get into the, the details because uh, uh, actually, uh, unfortunately, the the, um, the woman singing Aida was having some issues. Uh, I think she was having a bad night. But some of the other people were doing really well. Uh, the, the tenor who I mentioned before, his name is apparently it's pronounced Brian Jade, even though it's spelled J-A-G-D-E. Uh, and he's a New Yorker. Um, uh, and he looks really good on stage and also has a very, not the most beautiful tone of voice, but very powerful and very solid and very exciting. Uh, so I'm, I looked forward to hearing him again. And a new uh, mezzo, new to me, Alessia Petrova in the role of Amneris, which um, many most people feel is actually the most the most interesting role in the in the opera certainly from a dramatic standpoint she also has incredibly incredibly beautiful stuff to sing um and uh we sat uh, in the in the family circle like almost all the way at the top and the sound was great and you know we could see everything it was an obstructed view and um but there was um there was a moment <laughs> because the triumphal scene, uh, the famous triumphal scene, which is the big spectacular moment, comes in Act Two, and um, it starts with the procession. In that scene, starts with two horses, uh, and they came out and, and marched across the stage, and the audience applauded gleefully, and, and everything was fine. But then um, later in the scene, the hero um, is brought onto the stage in a carriage drawn by i suppose it's the same two horses that they just you know turn them around and back and then change their headdresses mm. and yeah. bring them back on anyway but on this occasion one of the poor horses um he seemed like he really hated the headdress <laughs> and he uh -huh. got he walked he so the two of them are being led on and one of them stops dead uh obviously uh Early, you know, before he was supposed to, before he got to center stage, and the uh, poor guy uh, guiding him had to like really kind of induce him and almost drag him <laughs> to uh, to center stage, and then the and then the the poor horse just stood there, kind of um, like shaking his head, obviously trying to get this headdress off of it, and the audience was like, oh. <laughs> Um, so, uh, fortunately, uh, they were only on stage for about a minute or two and then they were let off and it was a little bit of a problem to lead the horse off, but, but, uh, then they did get, get him off and he got applause as he exited. So, <laughs> so you don't see that every day. And it was the joys of life theater in a way that you don't always see that happen. Um, but I, I was so glad I went, uh, my friend loved it. It's incredible to hear that orchestra playing that beautiful score. And and in the context of these uh, amazing sets, look up, um, just Google if you want and see, get a look at the sets online. You really won't believe it. It's it's amazing. Uh, so that was a great night. And the, the, um, Lincoln Center looks really nice for the holidays. There was some new, uh, there was some structure, uh, some new structure that they put up um, on the end of the plaza that's closest to the street 
um, to Amsterdam Avenue. Um, and we couldn't figure out what it was. It seems like an art installation, but it's almost like this huge globe thing that you can, I think, walk into and it lights uh-huh. up into in all these different colors. So I, I can't imagine it's permanent, uh, but it must just be for the holidays. But we asked someone at the Met and they had no idea what it was. Um, but if you do go to uh, to Lincoln Center anytime uh, within the next well, certainly between now and the, and Christmas and New Year's, I'm sure you'll see it, whatever it is. So uh, I have a link to the Metropolitan Opera's website where it's got great production photos uh, in the in the show notes, so you can just uh, click through there. And, and thank you. As I've talked about in the past, the Metropolitan Opera's website is just so wonderful, so comprehensive, and it helps mm. you really uh, be less intimidated by seeing opera. If you can uh, take a look at their website, it kind of explains everything and it really helps you, especially with a foreign language, uh, understand it. The big question for the two of you is, uh, what have you heard about Aida coming back to Broadway, the Elton John version, not the uh, not the Verdi? <laughs> I do hear that that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, oh, I thought you were joking. I'd never heard that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, Aida, it seems to be looking for a house. Yeah. Looking for looking yeah. for a house. It's going to come back to yeah. Broadway. Yeah. So uh, here's a change that we don't do very often. Peter wants to talk about a movie based on a musical. <laughs> so, Peter, did you uh, you went to a screening? You actually yeah. went to a movie theater? I did. Yes. Okay. Yes. So tell um, us about this. Well, um, some months ago, a, a cast album was released on Masterworks Broadway, for whom I write a column every Tuesday, um, a musical called Bo, B-E-A-U. And indeed, um, Bo is a show that may have escaped you because it has not played Broadway. It has not played off-Broadway. It was done at the Adirondack Festival some years ago, and somebody thought it would be a good idea for a movie. And it's a very interesting hybrid of a movie because it takes place in uh, one of those country uh, bar and grill type places where they have people perform. So much of the time you are watching a very talented young man named Matt Roden playing Ace Baker. I don't know why his his name is Ace. We never hear that if that's the name his mother gave him or if it's a nickname. That's never explained. But anyway, Ace um, is now a grown man, but he takes us back to when he was 12 years old. Now, he's backed up by five musicians. And every now and then, one of the musicians will come and play a part. Um, one plays his mother. One plays his grandfather. One plays a, a bully who um, terrorized him in um, in early years, et cetera, et cetera. So you get various people playing various roles. And while it it would seem like it's simply a film concert, every now and then you will get a scene that takes place in um, a, a realistic place. Um, certainly there's one that um, takes place in a, a men's room that um, is not ostensibly part of the set that we're seeing. The um, When... Well, let's do it this way. Bo has been told throughout his life that um, he does not have a father, that he does not have a grandfather. They simply do not exist anymore. One day uh, he's home and a phone call comes in. And uh, yes, um, we're looking for um, Raven Baker. Yes, uh, because her father is in the hospital and uh, he put her down as the contact person for a health emergency. And we telling you there is a health emergency. So he learns that he does have a grandfather who is alive, if not well, but alive. Now they're living in Nashville, but the grandfather is in Memphis. And even though he's 12 years old, he insists that he go see his grandfather and his mother will not, will not even recognize the fact that this, person exists. She has no interest in dealing with this guy at all. And we'll find out the reason as time goes on. But she does allow him to go see his grandfather. And that may be a bit of a stretch when you think that a 12-year-old boy uh, is allowed to go on his own to Memphis, but she lets him go. Uh, I thought it was strange when in Almost Famous, where the mother allows a 15-year-old boy to go um, with a rock band. But uh, it, this boy's three years younger, but on the other hand, it, it, uh, going to see grandfather doesn't seem as dangerous as going out with um, 
with musicians who are into <laughs> sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But anyway, so he goes, and they really bond. Um, they bond over a number of issues. They bond even over an issue that turned out to be a problem for his mother way back when that uh, caused her to stop speaking to him. Um, the music is country. It's quite wonderful. And uh, they they really uh, perform it with great brio. But the story really takes you in because it's so nice to see a, a, <laughs> a, a, a young man discovering his grandfather and bonding with him in ways that he didn't expect. Uh, music does bring people together, and that's what happens here. Bo, the grandfather, tried to get Raven, his daughter, interested in music, especially in playing the guitar, and she just wasn't interested. But we get the impression that it skipped a generation, and that here um, Ace is going to uh, really become quite the musician. And we do see that happening, obviously, when he's performing with his band on stage. So, again, it really is mostly set in that um, bar and grill. So when you see the scene of him visiting Bo in the hospital, you will see <laughs> that you're actually on the set of, of where they're performing because there's the hospital bed. Yes. But above the hospital bed, you see the posters of acts that used to play at this place, such groups as uh, King Tut and the Tomb Raiders and the Stanks. Uh, you see those posters uh, above. So they're not putting a realistic spin on uh, showing a hospital room, but occasionally they will take you out and show you a realistic set. But for the most part, you're on the stage and uh, which is uh, replete with the Durrigur license plates from all over the country, the way so many of these places have, that they decorate that way. So it's a very moving show. I'm trying to give very little away as to what they also have in common. But it's a surprise as to what they have in common. But here's the thing. It's the type of thing we don't associate with people involved um, in Memphis, Nashville, or country music. And as a result, I think it will do a lot of good if people in Memphis, Nashville, and people involved with country music see something that they might not expect. And it may give them permission to, uh, to be themselves. I think that alone has given away a great deal. But anyway, um, so be it. So uh, when Bo comes around to your uh, multiplex or starts streaming um, and or Netflixing, do tune in. It's it's a very moving piece, and I'm very very glad that it got made. Okay, so uh, I have uh, found a website for Bo the Musical, and they've got quite a. a, uh, a you know, all sorts of information about where you can see the f film, you can watch the trailer, things like that. So that's in the show notes. You can uh, check that out at Broadway Radio as well if you want to get more information on Bo the Musical. So um, to wrap up this morning, Michael got over to Carnegie Hall to see Audra McDonald in concert. And um, I, when I was pulling the show notes together for this, Michael, I noticed there was a very interesting name of a piano player did you notice that yes <laughs> is that one and the same or no. is it no no okay because that would have been a, you know <laughs> talented good looking and a piano player i'd have to hate him so <laughs> we so should why don't you yeah. tell everybody get everybody in on mm -hmm. in the info there yeah well, let's start with that uh so people know what we're talking about uh uh audra's pianist on this occasion was someone named jeremy jordan Ah. <laughs> uh, whom she said is new uh, to her. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the background, but no, it is not the mm -hmm. the Broadway actor mm. Jeremy Jordan. Um, and uh, now this, I, I mentioned earlier that I had two really really pleasant surprises this week. Um, one of them uh, having been uh, th that I didn't expect 
that physical production for a Christmas Carol. Um, and then the other one was, first of all, this concert, I didn't even know this was happening until like three days ago. And then um, tickets were offered to me. And I said, well, sure, I'll go see Audrey McDonald at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> uh, you know, and I was assuming I, I still haven't even to this moment checked, but I assume they just did not do Ohio State murders uh, right. that night. Yes. Um, although if there is an understudy, they they could have used that as a you know, a perfect opportunity to put that person on, but I, I think they just didn't do it. Um, uh, so that was the first surprise that it was happening. Uh, then I looked up when I was offered the tickets, I, I looked up the concert on the Carnegie Hall website or wherever, and it says, um, Audrey McDonald, Andy Einhorn, music director and conductor. Uh, and then it says Jeremy Jordan, piano, Gene Lewin, drums, Mark Vanderpoel, bass. So I was expecting that she was going to sing with the trio, <laughs> uh, you know, and even though it said conductor, sometimes a conductor is listed for a trio. Uh, well, there was a 43 piece orchestra. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Can you imagine having a 43 piece orchestra and not even mm. mentioning it in the mm. mark in the marketing mm. materials mm. on the ads? <laughs> And and it wasn't even a, um, you know a pre-existing group. It wasn't the New York Pops. It wasn't the Orchestra of St. Luke's. It looks like they hired forty-three people. Mm. Uh, it was absolutely incredible, especially considering the program and the artist. I mean, you know, uh, she all just started out with "I Am What I Am," and she dedicated it to uh, uh, very movingly to what what recently happened in Colorado with that horrible sh shooting killing at the, mm -hmm. uh, at the mm -hmm. gay bar. Mm -hmm. um, then she did, uh, this is act one alone. Okay. She did pure imagination from Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. Uh, she did Mr. Snow recreating her, mm -hmm. her, the, 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 Lincoln Center. a, a yeah. little bit of a role that, that first brought her to prominence mm -hmm. and won mm -hmm. her her first Tony award. Um, then, uh, oh, and by the way, that was with the, original orchestrations so mm. that was that was the first uh hint of what what that was going to bring us in terms of hearing classic songs performed by a 43-piece orchestra at carnegie hall in their original orchestrations um then she did a uh, she spoke a tribute to diane carroll and she sang a sleeping bee from house of flowers then she spoke a tribute to barbara cook and she sang will he like me from she loves mm. me oh. um then she sang summertime unplugged mm. she put the mic away and mm. sang it unplugged uh then she sang cornet man ah. <laughs> <laughs> in the original key with the original orchestrations uh uh and the end of act one was rose's turn wow oh, wow so you're like well, where can you go from there you know <laughs> i won't even tell you most of the stuff in act two but she did a, a fabulous uh very brecht wileyan arrangement of cabaret uh, uh, mm -hmm. I, I never heard, mm -hmm. and of course we know mm -hmm. the the connections between mm -hmm. that show and Brecht Weil, but I never heard the music arranged in in such a an obviously Brecht Weil way. Uh, so that was really quite something. Um, the encore was home from the Wiz, mm -hmm. and then the second encore was um, she and Annie Einhorn. He he leapt off the podium and uh started to sing with her they did that famous uh duet of happy days are here again and get happy that was uh made famous by barbara streisand and judy garland mm. back in 1963 or whenever that was mm. on judy garland's tv show mm -hmm. that sounds so great. it was an incredible night audra was in amazing voice uh i have seen her in concert before but not for many years um and i guess the last time i saw her in concert was with barbara cook because they used to concertize together and she certainly spoke about that i don't recall her ever being uh doing as much patter and being so hilariously funny and charming as she was last night she really made Carnegie Hall seemed like her living room and everyone, you know, there, uh, of course, they adored her to begin with. And it was just a love fest. And her voice is a phenomenon. It really, really is. And her acting ability, um, she I don't I don't think I even need to 
mention, uh, it goes without saying that she's one of the absolute greats. So uh, that was enough to, uh, I mean, it was, there was no Christmas material in the program, but it was enough to get me in the Christmas spirit because it was <laughs> so incredibly amazing. And all the more so, again, because I, I had no idea that this concert was even happening until like two days ago. Mm. Wow. All right. So that is uh, a great way to wrap up for today. Before we get on to our trivia and our musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. iHeartRadio plays us, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, from Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today, including all those um, various things um, from um, the Metropolitan Opera's website to uh, Bo the Musical and all the other stuff. Also, you know, I forgot to mention at the top of the show that Jan Simpson had her most recent uh, episode of all the drama, where she talks about Pulitzer Prize winning plays and Mm. Rent is the current offering that Jan has brought us in the month of December, her her Christmas present to all of us, her holiday present to all of us. So take a listen to that as well. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? In this play's Boston tryout, it had a different title than the one it acquired before it was a smash hit on Broadway and a Pulitzer Prize winner. At first, it was named for what this character was. In the end, the play simply used its character's name as its title. What was the original title? What was the eventual one? Until the very last moment before it opened in Boston, Harvey was known (laughs) as the Puka, which indeed is what Harvey was. You can't keep a good man down. After falling to an unprecedented 12th place, Tony Janicki rose to the top. Following were Juliet Green, Josh Israel, Mike Meany, Brigadood, Sean Logan, Jack Leshner, Isaac Blevins, J. Aubrey Jones, and Paul Whitty. This week's question. He was one of those jazz musicians who used a nickname as his first name. He recorded an album of a world-famous Broadway musical that included a song that wasn't totally cut, no, but had been cut to only a few bars by the time the show reached Broadway. What's surprising is that when Capitol Records decided to release a 45 records of two songs from this album, they included this virtually dropped song. On the other side of the single record was indeed a song that's still in the show. And here's a hint. It was the show's second song. What's, who's the jazz musician with the nickname? What's the musical he recorded? What's the cut song? And what's the one that survived as the show's second song? Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, we have two cuts from Audra McDonald's album titled How Glory Goes, Mm -hmm. which I'm pretty sure was her first solo album. I adore this album ever since I I got it. Uh, The opener is uh, the aforementioned Asleep in Bee from House of Flowers, which I was lucky enough to hear Audra sing last night live at Carnegie Hall in the the same arrangement, by the way. And the closer is the title song of that album, How Glory Goes, from Adam Gettle's Floyd Collins, which I think Mm -hmm. is one of the most beautiful, profound, uh, moving songs ever 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 written uh for the musical theater certainly on the on the subject of mortality uh and nobody sings it better than audra (laughs) (laughs) all right so on behalf of michael portantier and peter felicia this is james marino saying thanks so much for listening to broadway videos this week on broadway bye-bye Things I
Just the same. 